Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Uh, this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for April 21st, 2021. A lot of great books to talk about. And because there are so many books to talk about, we're not going to cover any DC stuff. We're not even going to talk in general about any DC stuff. If you want to check out the DC stuff, go check out either the YouTube channel, Comic Boom, or our episode from yesterday. But be warned that the DC stuff does have spoilers, as opposed to the new Comic Book Day episode you're about to listen to, which is spoiler free. So uh, that's just the way you guys seem to want it. Uh, you know, we were releasing the DC stuff a little later and you wanted it earlier and we put it on Friday. That still wasn't early enough. You wanted a day of, so it comes out on Tuesdays uh, with spoilers. Cause we go super in depth uh, Rocky from comic boom and I, so be sure you go and check that out after you've read your, uh, your DC books. I will go over all the DC titles. Well, most of them uh, that we talked about on the episode, when I go through the list of books that you might want to be on a look, the lookout for today, other than the books that we're going to talk about today sort of in general without spoilers. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to Jay. He's going to start with Ha Ha, issue number four, which is written by W. Maxwell Prince. We have art and cover by Patrick Horvath, letters by good old Neon. Uh, this is not a book that I read, but uh, you seem to be really enjoying it, Jay. What was uh, this issue all about? So let's focus on a clown that entertains like birthday parties uh his name is uh gustav and it's called gustav on the world of floating objects there's a lot going on so i can't give away the whole storyline but he pretty much is at a birthday party he's got issues um little that the birthday party he has he disappears nobody knows where he went uh parents assume that he just kind of you know walked away because they could smell that he has some issues going on but it's a more uh, of a lot of like uh, his his real personal demons he's got to deal with. So everything in his little world floats. That's pretty much what the title says. So he's got to deal with his uh, psychological problems, what's going on with his life. But in the real world, uh, you still have issues with the family and they got to kind of sort their things out. So you got two stories going on almost at the same time, which is kind of neat. Uh, the end kind of ties it up really nice. And I, it's like I said, I can't really say too much about it because I'll give away the whole story plot for both stories that are going on. But I like the I like the writer. He just like I like the way he had two stories going on in this one. It was really good. Yeah, W. Maxwell Prince. He also writes Ice Cream Man, which you and Manny both seem, seem to love. Uh, oh yeah. Just it's a little out there for my taste. When I when I flip through this one, all I all that stuck with me is there's one. There's one picture of Gustav where he looks like super evil with like these like needle like sharp teeth. And there's like a severed head and a snake. And I was just like, man, I don't have any idea what's going on. But I guess if you want a <laughs> comic that's sort of like off the beaten path and just sort of weird and strange and not your typical sort of comic, then you should be reading stuff that W. Maxwell Prince writes. Stuff right, I like it. Definitely out there. So, uh, all right, let me talk about my first book. It's Knock 'em Dead number five. This brings the series to a close. And uh, perhaps appropriately, the title of the final issue is The Closer. Uh, it's written by Elliot Rahal. Art is by Mattia Monaco. Colors by Matt Miller. Letters by Taylor Esposito. Um, the first thing you notice when you turn to the first page is it says 15 years later. 
So if you've been following along with Knock Him Dead, it's been a really fun, incredible ride about this guy who wants to be, he's of Middle Eastern descent. He wants to be a stand-up comedian. Obviously, that's not kind of in line with what his parents want. They want him to be a doctor or you know, professional of some sort. And uh, he's pretty close with his sister, their roommates, and his sister loses her job right around the same time this guy goes to an open mic night. He gets in a car accident. His buddy, who's a better stand-up comedian than him, uh, who he, he had just recently met, dies in the car accident, and his soul inhabits our guy, our, our Middle Eastern guy who wants to be a stand-up comedian. His name is Pryor Bryce. And what he discovers is that his buddy was more talented as a comedian, and now that his buddy's soul is inhabiting his body because Pryor Bryce died momentarily, and apparently a little bit of his soul left his body. So that's what allows other souls to to come in and fill up his body and kind of take over. And he sort of channels them. And he's a lot better as a stand-up comedian because his his buddy was better. But then eventually his buddy starts to take over too much. And him, his sister and himself, they contact this this former Catholic priest and he performs an exorcism and the guy goes away. But then Pryor Bryce finds out he can't do the comedy anymore. Um, So they invite another soul, the soul of Lenny Bruce, famed late comedian Lenny Bruce. And Lenny Bruce comes and uh, inhabits in his body. And then he's great at comedy again. And he gets a, a chance to go on basically the, the Tonight Show, the this version of The Tonight. It's not called The Tonight Show, but it's basically The Tonight Show. Um, and Bryce almost blows it because he's you know living as Lenny Bruce and he's doing all kinds of drugs and things are getting out of hand. And so they... Uh, they exercise uh, Lenny Bruce, and uh, then they he they go he goes to go on the the Tonight Show at the end of the last um, issue, and right before he goes to go on, he's in a meeting earlier in the day. He's supposed to go on that that night to this version of the Tonight Show, and the host die, has a heart attack and dies. Um, and so what? we see on the last page is that this guy prior Bryce kind of steps in at the last minute, this last minute, probably channeling some other dead comedian. And so this story starts uh, 15 years later and it's sort of about the consequences, right? Um, you can sort of read the, the trail of breadcrumbs that Elliot Ray Hall has left for us here of how this guy's going to eventually be a success, but it's at, at what price. And that's really what the story is all about. Um, you know, you, you could be successful, but you're going to pay a price because of whatever. I mean, it's, it's, that's just life in general. Usually you want to be successful at something. You want to be dedicated. A lot of time it, it does take sacrifice. It takes time away from family or it takes, you know, physical sacrifice or, or, you know, through training or what have you, there's always a price to be paid. There's nothing comes for free. And that's sort of what this issue is about and, you know, karma and, the scales balancing out and, and whatnot. And I, I can't really say much more. Everything I've talked about was in the previous four issues. I can't really say much more about what happens in this final issue without giving it away because it's, it is one of the things that I, I, I wish that Elliot Ray Hall had had a little more time that we could have had, you know, maybe 20 issues and we could have, instead of it jumping 15 years between issue four and issue five, we could have had, you know, four issues in the present day, like we did, and then maybe jump, you know, two or three years and get four more issues. And then another jump of, you know, four years or so, and, and a few more issues and would have gone like that instead of having one big jump. 
Uh, but I get it. Like you only have five issues and you want to finish the story. Um, and so, although it's still a satisfying conclusion, it does feel a little, um, I don't want to say choppy because the, the first four issues had a very good pace where it ramped up uh, the whole way. But now all of a sudden we, we get this big jump and it just feels a little bit disconnected. And certainly he goes back and he fills in um, everything you need to know. But like I said, it just, it doesn't have as much emotional weight or as much resonance as it would have otherwise. If we would have got to take that journey with him instead of, you know, we're at the first, I don't know, 25% of the race and we're, you know, running alongside him. And then we jump to like the last 10 yards and we're running alongside him once again, as we're getting to the end of the story. And it's like, he's turning to us and saying, we're like, well, how did you get here? And he's telling us, Oh, well this happened. And also this happened and this happened and that's fine. And it makes sense. And we understand it, that it happened. He's telling us and, it gives context to where he's at now, but again, it loses a lot of that emotional weight had we discovered it for ourselves. So I still think it's a successful uh, series and I still think it's worth reading. Uh, I just wish that Ray Hall had had more room to tell it. I think like 20 issues would have been, would have been perfect. Um, but maybe he didn't plan it out that way. I don't know. Uh, and the artwork is spectacular. Like it's been all along with, um, you know, the story that's very emotional, the, uh, facial expressions by Mattia Monaco are done very well, but also the, the supernatural feel when it's these ghosts and souls and exorcisms and all that stuff going on. Matt Miller with uh, the colors, when the exorcism with the bright light casting out these uh, deceased souls and what have you, it, it's all done excellently. So uh, it's a very technically well put together comic, a really interesting hook and definitely worth reading. It didn't quite, and the way I expected it to, I, I sort of expected a little bit more lighthearted ending with where we were in issue four, but it makes sense with the, the, the leap forward in time, 15 years, um, that Bryce would have a higher price to pay with, uh, you know, to balance the scales if he's taken advantage of this situation for many years, um, it makes sense that he would have to balance it out by paying a, a steeper price. So it ended up being really, really good, uh, as I expected. I think Elliot Rahel's a spectacular writer, and I don't think enough people are uh, are reading his work. So uh, really good series. Uh, all right, let's move on to Jay's next book. It is uh, Post Americana. Art and Story by Steve Scrochet, Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters and Design by Phonographics. This is uh, a post-apocalyptic story that's really brutal, and it's been a hell of a ride so far. What did you think of this issue, Jay? I liked it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think they kind of, and this one here, I don't want to give away too much, but they kind of explained the last character that we got introduced, the one that was like all, you know, like, you didn't sure if he was a mutant or what he was. Yeah, superhero uh, guy. Superhero guy. So they kind of explain it to this. And uh, so Caroline and Mike, you know, finally get to meet uh, the person he's been talking to, uh, Marcy. But she turns out to be more than what they expect. and um, or, or less. I, yeah, I guess. I, I, I mean, they find like a, they find like this, uh, they find everything they could possibly want from her. 
but there's a, a, a hidden agenda. Yeah. You got two things going on. So you got uh, Caroline and her mom coming with their own little uh, ideas of what they're going to do with this place. And then you find out Marcy's plan to what she's going to do with the place. And then it kind of blows up at the end because now you don't know what's going to happen in the end because it's uh, everybody kind of backstabs each other almost, it seems like. Yeah, and that's kind of what I didn't like about it because I, I feel like this has been a pretty original story. It's been very different. Um, I mean, it's it's post-apocalyptic. So when you're talking about, you know, the end of the world and wastelands and scavengers and cannibals and all. I mean, we, we've seen all that kind of stuff before, but Scrochet has given us a story that it's so tongue in cheek and over the top. It's been really, it's been really fun. And there's been a lot of unexpected twists and turns, but that, that one particular trope where, oh, it's, it's, let's get to this one sanctuary, like the whole, it's happened in so many movies, like the whole thing that you want to do is there's some end goal, right? You're, you're in the wasteland and you know, there's some safe haven or sanctuary and you spend the whole movie or whole story just trying to get to that one place. And then when you get there, it doesn't turn out to be what you thought it was. It's either not a sanctuary, doesn't even exist. Nobody's there. Only one person is there and they're old or they're not (laughs) who you thought they would be like, that is the most tired cliche and I don't know. It just kind of bugged me that Scrochet went there. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, I expected something different, but I didn't like the shout out to The Rock, which was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of funny moments in this in this issue for sure, and his art is super detailed, and it is fun. And despite the the tropiness of this particular issue, it does feel like he he may be doing something different um, going forward. Uh, and uh, the only other thing I'll say is shout out to big toes everywhere. <laughs> that was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, if you're not reading post-Americana, I will say it's not for the faint of heart, a lot of blood, a lot of gore. It's definitely not for kids. It's a mature book, um, but it's been a fun ride for sure. We've got what, three uh, more issues, I think, and that should be it. It's an uh, issue, how- right? I'm not sure how many. I, did they say? I, yeah, I think it was. I think it was eight. So we'll see how they. I got that three issues. Of yeah, I that, that, yeah. I could see it ending in in about eight issues. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, all right. Well, let me move on to my next book. Uh, it's Amazing Spider-Man number sixty-four. I believe is the issue. It's uh, King's Ransom Part Two. So we saw at the end of last issue where. Uh, Randy Robertson and his girlfriend, who just so happens to be uh, the villain, the Beatle, and the daughter of Lonnie Lincoln, also known as Tombstone, have been dating, and they got kidnapped by Madame Mask and the Crime Master, and uh, Peter showed up to try to save them. Meanwhile, we still have the Kindred uh, storyline going on, where Kingpin's trying to use Kindred to find the last piece of the life tablet that he's looking for. We saw last issue he recruited Mo, um, Baron Mordo to go in and use his magical powers to basically force Kindred to tell him where that um, that tablet is. And Spider-Man is working for J. Jonah Jameson on some website that streams everything he sees through his uh, new suit that they gave him. And he's uh, Spider-Man's also been working with Boomerang to try to f- keep find all the pieces of the life tablet and keep it out of the Kingpin's hand. So there's a lot of different threads going on. And this is an action-packed issue from start to finish. We get a little bit of a flashback with Spider-Man fighting against the 
henchmen of Madame Mask and Crime Master trying to keep Randy and his girlfriend from being kidnapped. We've got uh, the the unlikely team up of uh, of Robbie Robertson and uh, Tombstone, who knew each other in high school and hated each other and have been, you know, arch nemeses their whole entire lives. Well, now they're trying to team up because they they realize that their kids are in trouble, and so they're willing to work together for the sake of their kids. You also have at the end Boomerang doing something dumb uh, for actually a noble reason. I, I, I will say that Nick Spencer's done a good job of uh, making the Boomerang an interesting character because he's always been sort of a sort of a blah character. Fred Myers, uh, either he was so weak you didn't care about him, or he was so kind of smarmy that you didn't like him. So he has made him sort of uh, he's redeemed him in in uh, in a way. So this does feel like a, a Spider-Man comic. And again, I point to the fact that whenever Nick Spencer kind of gets bogged down in the kindred storyline, that's when this book really feels like a slog. Um, and so I really hoped when we focused on that a while back and we found out for sure the identity of the kindred and even Peter Parker found out the identity that we could just have it end, but no, we're still dragging it on. The, the whole idea, the whole story of the kindred has been going on since issue one. That's 64 issues now. It's time to be done with that story and Spencer seriously. Um, but like I said, this does feel like a Spider-Man comic. Sp Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man has been a little more fun lately. I still feel like it's probably time for somebody other than Nick Spencer to be writing it just because it's been kind of dreary. Um, there have been a few issues here or there lately that have felt a little more upbeat, but God, especially the kindred stuff. I mean, just that, that storyline, that character, the fact that he's so inherently tied into tragedy in Peter's past. I, I don't see how you tell a, a kindred story and not have it be a downer. Uh, and I'm just ready for Spider-Man to be a fun book again. So I don't know if Nick Spencer can do that or not. Um, I, I feel like we've gotten a couple of good issues lately but it's not consistent. And so I don't know. I just sort of feel like a, a change of pace is in order. Um, we don't even have Patrick Gleason art on this one. Federico uh, Vincentini does the art, which uh, the art's fine. It's not as clean as I would like, but there's nothing particularly wrong with it. Uh, Nick Spencer writer, as I mentioned, Alex Seclair on colors, Joe Cameron on letters. So it's an okay issue. It's not the best. It's not the worst. There's a couple of interesting things that happen. Um, but yeah, I'm ready for something just different, something to happen in Spider-Man to kind of shake it up, whether that's bringing on a new writer or some other kind of, uh, I don't want to say an event, but just all, it just feels like all the storylines that Spencer's been doing just drag on forever. This tablet storyline, the kindred storyline, uh, it's just enough already. <laughs> just dude, like, <laughs> why do these storylines have to run 20 issues? You know, it's like, I mean, I, I, I complain about people writing for the trade sometimes, uh, and I don't necessarily want that either. It's fine to have some subplots, but, you know, 20 issues is, is enough. I don't think things need to run much longer than 20 issues. That is more than enough time, maybe 24 on the outset. That's four trades. If, if, if a story runs longer than four trades, I just feel like you're milking it, man. Like just be done with it already. Uh, anyway, that's just my thoughts. Get off my soapbox. And uh, 
we'll move on to Jay's next book. It's another uh, image title, one he's really been enjoying. It's issue three of Stray Dogs. It's from writer Tony Fleeks. Art is by Trish Forstner. Colors are by Brad Simpson. Layouts by Tone Rodriguez. Flatter is Lauren Perry. Logo and design by Lauren Herda. So uh, give us your thoughts. So you were telling me that this book's been getting uh, steadily better with each issue. Yeah, it is. Uh, for So it's 11 dogs that's in the part of the little pack. They're in a house with a, a master. We kind of see a glimpse of what he looks like. Uh, the main uh, dog is Sophie. The, in the storyline, all the dogs have short-term memory, so they can't remember anything unless they have something to smell or see to like remember stuff. Uh, Sophie, like I said, she's the main dog. She's the newest one in the pack. She knows something's wrong. She's found something along to her master, you know, the previous ones. So she knows this one now is bad. And then I guess the, the leader of the pack, Rusty, is trying to help her out. He got hurt in the last issue because he was trying to help her out. And so in this one, we got Sophie, Rusty, and Victor, who's got three paws. He's missing one. We don't know until later on in the story, the backstory of how he lost his paw. Well, they go around doing some investigation because they're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, they find some suspicious stuff underneath the house. They start doing, you know, dog stuff. They almost get caught. Um, then he's kind of sad because you don't know what really happens because the master sees that they get dirty and, and um, Victor finds out what he used to do before he got uh, to this new place that he actually had another master. And she knows she, she was, uh, you know, murdered, but, you know, but they're not just sure if it was this new guy, the new master or not, but uh, he tries to help out. He gets caught and the master takes him and to punish him, but it kind of leaves you wondering what do you do to that dog? You know, cause it's, especially what they find. So it's actually getting pretty good, but I don't want to get too much of the storyline. If I do, it's just pretty much the whole story until the next issue. Yeah. I mean, and the Disney-esque art is, is it's really misleading, fantastic. but it's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, and I, I did flip through it and I, yeah, man, the ending is, the ending is brutal. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if, uh, yeah, I just don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see next issue. And I still haven't read it. Like I, I this is a great book. Everybody talks about it the, the week it comes out. Uh, you know, people love dogs. And I think this is a really, really great book. I mean, it even has a quote from Scott Snyder on the back of it. It says a terrific debut, like Disney meets Psycho. Something that takes elements that should not work together and by force of great storytelling makes them do so in the most twisted, fantastic way. So yeah, if you love dogs, if you love mystery, if you just love good comic stories, you should be picking up Stray Dogs. I'm 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 kind of sad that I didn't pick up the first couple issues um, because it's doing really well on the secondary market because word of mouth has gotten out there, and I think the first issue is going for a little bit of change now. So, oh yeah, definitely love it. All right, well let me move on to my next book. It's Captain Marvel number twenty-eight uh, from writer Kelly Thompson. We have art by a new artist I haven't heard from heard of before. I think it's Jacoby Gam Gamani or Gamagni. Last name is C A M A G N I. So if it's Italian, it would be Kamani. The G would be silent, but it could be Kamagni. So not sure. Apologize for not knowing how to pronounce that. Uh, the color artist is Espen Grungetern. Letters by Clayton Cowles. This is part one of Strange Magic. The last issue ended with Captain Marvel in bed. She had sex with Doctor Strange. They met at a bar. 
not not purposefully. Uh, Captain Marvel was sort of not drowning her sorrows because she's an alcoholic and she doesn't drink. Um, but she just needed a place to get away where nobody would look for her because she's not supposed to be in bars. She figured she could hide out there. And um, Dr. Strange had a real bad day at the hospital. He lost a patient on the table. And so he happened to end up at the same bar and they ended up talking and one thing led to another and yeah, they ended up in bed together. So I was wondering and, and saying, well, that, that could be interesting. They're not two Marvel characters you necessarily would, would put together in a relationship, but instead of putting them together, Kelly Thompson, it's, this is another instance where apparently it's not stated how many days in a row we're jumping forward, but we're jumping forward a little bit. And it's not like, I, I sort of expected this to start later that same day, or they're still in bed or, or what have you. But instead what happens is it's a, it's a few days later. It feels like at least a few days later, Carol's having flashbacks to that future timeline that she had been in where billions had died, all her friends, the Avengers, Hawkeye, Captain America, and all that. And so she's confiding in Jessica Drew, her best friend, Spider-Woman, about how she's having these terrible dreams and how she feels like it's all her fault. And, you know, this is the reason that she broke up with Rhodey and it's, it's everything that's wrong with her life right now. And uh, it all has to do with magic in her mind. And so her whole plan, this issue is to, she needs to learn magic. And so she goes to Dr. Strange because if you're in the Marvel universe and you want to learn magic, who else would you go to? And it's awkward because of the recent, uh, you know, physical encounter they had. And Dr. Strange tries to get her to see his point of view and it, it doesn't necessarily work out. And so uh, Captain Marvel Carol ends up having to go look for another teacher uh, for to teach her magic because, again, she thinks that she either needs to know magic or be invulnerable to magic to prevent the tragic history that she lived through. And Dr. Strange tries to tell her there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of different possible futures. So you need to quit worrying about it. But, of course, she's Captain Marvel and she's not going to quit worrying about it because all her friends died. She does get a new kind of magical looking costume that's pretty cool looking in this issue, um, even though she doesn't end up learning any magic. But anyway, after Doctor Strange won't teach her, she goes out meeting up with other magic users of the Marvel Universe to try to find a teacher. And then on the last page, she goes to everybody's like not necessarily willing to teach her. So she keeps trying and trying and going down the totem pole. And then the last person she goes to is is sort of a surprise and in a way ties into that future timeline as well. So what that bodes, I guess we'll have to, uh, to wait and see. Um, the other cool thing about uh, Captain Marvel lately, Marco Cicchetto, who's the artist, the interior artist for, um, for Daredevil and does an incredible job, has been doing the covers lately. So the cover of this one is really, really cool. And the cover that we get in the back sneak peek for issue 29 is even even cooler looking so i'm really digging on uh, the covers as far as the art for this issue like i said i'm not familiar with this artist he does a pretty good job uh there are times where i feel like his art gets a little simplistic and the backgrounds are a little light uh and maybe i shouldn't say simplistic it gets a little cartoony uh for my taste so it's just a it's just a consistency issue but like i said i haven't heard of him before so uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and just chalk it up to this guy hasn't drawn a lot of, you know, big, big name comics. Um, and so I imagine he'll get better over time, but this is a solid issue. Captain Marvel continues to be one of the best uh, 
titles that Marvel's putting out. Kelly Thompson, you know, I gave her my writer of the year last year for a reason. And th these kind of stories are, are why. I mean, this is a great story with uh, a lot of emotion. It, it, I, I think Kelly Thompson has become my favorite writer of Carol Danvers. She grounds her and gives her emotion and gives her depth and vulnerability that I don't think anybody has ever done to this level of quality before. So, yeah, I really, really, uh, really, really enjoyed this particular issue. So uh, you, you read this, right, Jay? Oh, yeah. I've been following the storyline. Yeah, she's she's got a pretty good perspective of the character. You know, I, I like the, how she puts it, you know, on the, the paper for us. And like yeah. I said, the uh, the covers are just amazing. Yeah, this cover is awesome. So, but there are a little funny jokes in there. I mean, little little things that are pretty funny. You know, all the people she talks to and what he, you know, what he, she says to them all. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that that I love that she does is the um, the dialogue and the banter between Carol Danvers and Jessica Drew. You really get a feel that they're good friends because they give each other crap all the time. It's pretty funny. Oh yeah, she could read her when they knocked on the door. She was like, "Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you slipped with them." Yeah. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. Jay's next book is Alien number two from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. We have art by Salvador LaRocca. Colors are by Guru EFX and letters are by Clayton Cowles. Uh, and, you know, we, we told you last time we talked about issue one. And if you're a fan of the alien property, that you should be reading this. And just to remind everybody, um, and there is a, a recap inside the front page. And it talks about how 2022 was when the first alien movie took place where the Wayland yutani Corporation sent the Nostromo to LV-426, which, you know, that's the alien movie with, you know, Sigourney Weaver and Yafit Koto and, and all those guys. Um, and then the second movie, Aliens, with Michael Bean and Sigourney Weaver and, uh, and, and Lance Henriksen, that's 2079. Uh, when the, the colony is already there on LV-426 and the, all the Marines go in, get slaughtered and whatever. That's the action one that everybody loves. Well, this movie, or this comic rather, takes place in 2200. So this is 21 years after the second Aliens movie. And it's sort of establishing some things and drawing on some things that we didn't necessarily see in the movie, but supposedly happened around that, that same time to kind of... Um, root it in the the same universe um but incredible art by uh by salvador la Roca. and uh i'm not the biggest aliens fan but i am enjoying this but uh anyway give us your thoughts jay okay it's i like it. it's like uh from the first story you find out that gabriel you know he was in charge of security at the uh, epsilon station and he's pretty much was kind of forced out of retirement uh the last issue he met with his son but his son was there just for one purpose, not to really, you know, uh, bond with him again, but to take his uh, ID to get back to that station because he's his girlfriend's part of the group that's the anti whaling group. So they go to that station to break in and, you know, uh, free the animals, as, you, as, as I guess it would say. And you, like typical more move, like typical movies, when you free the, uh, the animals, you find out that's not a good idea because they actually turn out to be bad. Well, yeah, so they think it's they think it's like just regular Earth animals that are being experimented on you know like it's uh it's monkeys that they're testing lipstick and makeup on and they they shouldn't be caged they don't realize it's a uh space station full of xenomorphs right <laughs> so that's what happens in the first edition that kind of leave you with that so in the second one uh we have like a flashback i guess it's uh gabriel kind of having a dream of what happened in the past 
Uh, he gets a visit. They're like, hey, uh, you got to go back to the station. We need you there. And he's like, well, I'm not doing that. And they're like, well, your son there with your ID. He's like, oh, so if he doesn't help, he's going to go to jail. So he's got to go help. They, they don't care about the son. They only want a specimen to bring back. So he uh, I don't. So he just wants a team. They don't give him that team. They give him something like bare minimum to go do this. And typical alien movie, they go there thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. I, da, da. Uh, it turns out I try and tell him, hey, you can look out for this, for this. Or like, yeah, whatever. You're an old man. Turns out, you know, the, the you know, the crap hits the fan. And now uh, we see the xenophobes and everybody coming out now. Yeah. And you would think. I expected after, something a little bit different, but I guess we're going with it. Well, I, I just, you know, after what happened on LV 426 in 2179 with a whole platoon of, of Marines getting wiped out. Like, I understand that they're trying to keep this quiet. So they only send Gabe up there with two guys, but. Uh, you just, I mean, if you're Wayland Corporation, you got to think there's no way that, like, what the hell makes you think that that is going to work? Yeah, you I know? guess they just figure he's his mission is just go up there, and get an example, and come back. But, you know, the example's not there where he thought it was. And that was yeah. the whole mission. They didn't care about the sun. They didn't care about him. They just want the sample and then be done with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't know, know what makes you think that two guys are going to be able to get it done. The other thing that was really interesting to me that I noticed. Uh, when we see on the first page Gabe Lane in bed, did you notice he's got that scar down the middle of his chest? Like, yeah, an alien busted out of his chest and he somehow survived it. That's kind of, yeah. the, I, I mean, I'm guessing that's All kind right. of the implication. Yeah, I saw so, a little foreshadowing there, but I was like, yeah, yeah we'll see where we'll see where they go with it. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty solid. You can definitely tell that uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's a big aliens fan. But the artwork is on though. I like the artwork, especially the alien one. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Salvador Roca does a great job of uh, of providing menace too, because yeah, and drawing the aliens, he does a really great, really great job there. Sufficiently brutal. Uh, all right, well, let me talk about my next book. It's uh, Spider-Man number eleven. It says right on the cover, classic costume, new villains, great jumping on point. We're back to Spider-Woman's classic red and yellow costume. Thank God. I never really cared for the black one. I think Spider-Woman's costume is one of the best, if not the single best costumes in all the comics. The color scheme is just, it's fantastic. I love that costume with the red, yellow, and black. So uh, we know that recently the, the, the first big storyline, the first 10 issues were sort of one big story from uh, the creative team, Carla Pacheco and Pierre Perez handling the art. Uh, obviously Carla doing the writing, Frank Diarmada on colors, Travis Lanham on letters. And so now that that's done, we're, this is, uh, as the cover says, a great jumping on point because it's sort of back to back to basics with Jessica and what she's learned and what she's been through. There was some traumatic stuff and it, it got kind of dark and a little depressing for her. She kind of, uh, you know, embraced the dark side at times. She wasn't herself based on things that had happened. Uh, and so we're getting back to the more, lighthearted Jessica and even she herself in this issue talks about how she feels like she's back um, and she's really excited and she's hanging out with her boyfriend Roger and her uh, her baby so uh, it's the human side of uh, of Spider-Woman and, and we see, even see some uh, seeds planted for some like relationship drama which I think works really really well uh, we're also introduced to a, a couple of villains I think they're, they may be brothers, but they're called Los Espadas Gemalas de Toledo. So that, that means the twin swords of Toledo. So 
and I think that would be Toledo, Spain, not Toledo, Ohio, <laughs> even though Jessica says like Ohio, Toledo, like Ohio. Um, and they, they don't really seem to be a match for her, um, but she actually has a harder time fighting them than you might expect. Maybe it's just because there's two of them. Uh, but the majority of this issue is the fight, <laughs> but it's action packed. It's, it's uh, and it's done very well. Pierre Perez does use some pretty large panels and I do wish he'd used a, uh, a little bit less room because we would have got a little more relationship drama uh, or maybe we'd have gotten the answer or seen a little bit more between Raj and, um, and Jess, but it's probably exactly how Carla Pacheco wanted it to end with sort of a, a cliffhanger. I mean, you know, what's coming. Um, you, you realize Jessica doesn't, but as a reader, you kind of realize what's going on between the two of them. Um, but it kind of flies over Jessica's head. She's so excited to be back in her costume and be back to, you know, who she's used to being and feel more like herself. Um, so what comes next? Uh, I guess we'll see if there's anything Carla Pacheco has shown. It said she's willing to put Jessica Drew through the ringer. Um, and it, it kind of says it all when you just look at the name of the letters page, Jess this mess. <laughs> and Carla Pacheco definitely kind of makes a mess of Jessica Drew's life or allow more accurately, I guess I should say, uh, she allows Jessica Drew to make a mess of her own life. Um, it's just how she rolls, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a fun issue. Like the cover says, great time to jump on if you haven't been reading Spider-Woman. Um, and I've read other Spider-Woman titles in the past, uh, but I, I've never read one I've enjoyed as much as this one. Uh, from the art to the colors to the writing to uh, Carla Pacheco's voice that she gives Jessica, I think it all works really, really well. So. Uh, I think you read this too, Jay. Did you? You were saying it would. You felt like it was a great jumping on point, right? Oh yeah, I like. Uh, it's like I said, if you're new, this would be a good way to start the series. But uh, I do like I said, uh, the writer is doing a great job with the character. Um, when she has her suit bag, I mean, she's still trying to figure out what the suit does, which is kind of funny because it's like I think that's why she had a little hard time because she didn't know how yeah, to, op how to operate the suit because yeah. it was new to her. <laughs> But yeah, at some point she's like, oh, I'll sneak up on them. And then it turns out, well, the suit has other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty funny. Uh, all right. Uh, Jay's last book is Way of X. This is a, a double-sized issue, a new series in Jonathan Hickman's corner of uh, the Marvel Universe pertaining to the X-Men. It's written by Cy Spurrier. The art is by Bob Q or Bob Quinn. Uh, the colors are by Java... Tartaglia? Tartaglia? I don't know. Again, if it's Italian, the G is silent, and it's Tartaglia. If it's not Italian, then it could be Tartaglia. So anyway, Clayton Cowles on letters, Tom Muller handling the design. Um, this was an interesting one. What did you think, Jay? It's good. Um, I always did like Nightcrawler. was one of my favorite X-Men. Like, you know, when I was younger, I started reading, and I wish it would be more centered on the character because I kind of forget you know, that he used to, he's a priest. He believes in God, and people kind of forget that aspect of that character, I think. Um, so it pretty much they're in a new place called, what's it, uh, Crow? Krakoa? Krakoa, yeah. So, and this uh, new storyline for the mutants, uh, it, they don't die. So once they die, they can get reincarnated. So the, some of these mutants think that uh, since they have that ability, it's okay to, you know, get killed off, or whatever, because you'll come back anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And Kirk being, or, you know, believing in God and not in his souls, he doesn't think this is right, that people are just wasting their, their life like that. He thinks that it's pointless. It doesn't make any sense to him. 
he has a hard a hard talk to you with uh, Xavier and uh, Doctor Nemesis, and you know, try to figure out you know uh, their point of views. He kind of agrees with some of them, but he's still you know deep down he still does his praying. He still thinks that uh, he's thinking about doing a religion, you know, his own little uh, religious thing, you know, to help out. But it's pretty dark. I mean, there's a lot going on in the story. Uh, the brutality of you know how these mutants you know get killed off, and you know how the process works is kind of uh, different. But during the, the the story, you get a bunch of like uh, intel inserts in there of uh, you know talking to each other, uh, different uh, organizations and what their their goals are, you know, against the mutants. And uh, during all this, they uh, there's like a the boogeyman they keep talking about that lives in the area that you know comes for you at night. Um, the very end, you find out that uh, Kurt, you know, uh, he goes to see an old friend, you know, at, a, at the gravesite, and then he encounters another old friend that turns out to be, you know, who's behind some of the stuff. And they give you a list uh, for the storyline of what to read next so you can continue the story. And I like it. I, I always thought X Men was more in depth of a uh, storytelling than, uh, I guess, like some other stories. I guess I just like the, the, the way they go in depth with the X Men characters. Yeah, I mean, I get why some people are complaining about this X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe under Hickman, because it does kind of expect you to read everything, and, and that's why they do give you the reading order in the back of the book. But I, I yeah, I kind of like it. If you're going to read it, then, you know, why not go all in? And I know some people are like, oh, it's too expensive, whatever. Man, get the Marvel Unlimited app, and you're paying one price, and you can read everything, you know, four months or whatever after it after it comes out. Because um, I, do, I, I do agree with, with Jay that this and it's what I expected from writer Cy Spurrier that this would be kind of off the beaten path and much like Hickman does it makes you think right and, and this time it's a little more philosophical than maybe Hickman goes with the whole idea of religion and and it is so interesting the 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 conundrum the sort of feelings that 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 Nightcrawler's having like wh what is what does the afterlife matter or what does death or faith matter what does heaven or hell matter matter if functionally all the mutants in the marvel universe are immortal they die they're resurrected they die they're resurrected and you know to jay's point so, so that they're going off and getting killed on on purpose you know and in in the faith that kurt wagner nightcrawler grew up in that's suicide that that's the worst sin there is you know, you're, you're turning your back on God. You're giving up the gift of life that he gave you. Um, but they know they're coming back. So what does that do to this idea of sin and, and whatnot? So yeah, there's a lot of big ideas here. You get a huge chunk of story because it's 20 issues. There's a lot going on. We're in, introduced to who we think is a new villain. And then it turns out maybe not so new after all. Uh, I think the art works really, really well. It's not necessarily the cleanest art. Um, so again, not my, not my favorite, but I think it works very well for the story. Uh, I'm not really um, familiar with Bob Q. Uh, I think the only thing I've read or, or seen of his art previously is in James Bond, and it was a lot cleaner than this. Um, but being that this is sort of an existential spiritual type story it, it makes sense to so that the art would be a little more fanciful i guess you'd say um so yeah i think it's a it's a really interesting look at at the x-men part of their part of their universe part of their corner of the marvel universe that hasn't really been explored seen some of the consequences of 
the choices that they're making and how their culture and society is developing, but how would you expect it to, to develop, right? Like if, if death doesn't exist for your society or your culture, that's going to have a huge impact on the way people live their lives. It's, it's sort of like removing consequences in a way, right? You can act more reckless and do stupid things because you know you're going to come back. So, uh, and then there's other parts to it too, about the way people come back with the crucible and uh, people that lost their powers in the house of M event and, and how they come back. And some of that stuff is talked about in the text pages, like Jay mentioned, um, basically we're taking a look inside Nightcrawler's journal because he's the one that has questions about this. And even Professor X has some, some questions about the way things are going. And it's sort of looking at, at Nightcrawler, looking at Kurt as the one who he believes is the best to sort of make decisions about these moral quandaries because he, he, uh, Professor X himself has so much belief in the goodness of Kurt that Kurt will make the right decisions. So yeah, a lot to unpack here. And I haven't heard if this is a mini series, but I mean, this one could go on for a long time because these are some pretty big concepts that uh, Seif Spurrier is exploring. So uh, on to my last book. It's my book of the week. It's Radiant Black number three. It's from writer Kyle Higgins. We have art by Marcelo Costa. We have letters by Becca Carey. Logo designed by Rich Bloom. Editor and designer Michael Basudel. And production artist Deanna Phelps. Uh, we get some text pages in this one as well. Uh, but we're getting some pages from the main character, Radiant Black, Nathan Burnett, who is a failed writer who, if you haven't been following the series, he moved to LA right after college and was you know, going to become the next great American novelist and didn't quite work out that way. He was sort of driving for the equivalent of Uber and just charging up things on his credit card and ended up like $30,000 in debt, had to move back home, back to the Midwest. And he's there with his parents and he's still driving for the, the Uber equivalent because his dad's like, well, if you're going to stay here, you're going to work. He's like, I am working. I'm a writer. And he's like, well, is that paying you any money? No, then it's not an actual job. You got to get a job. And then he finds the, the little mini black hole, which gives him the powers of radiant black. And he's trying to figure out what that whole thing is and how those powers work while uh, trying to still be a, a writer. So what I love about this particular issue is it focuses more on Nathan as a, a creative more so than, than anything else. It shows us his creative process. It shows him struggling to write. It shows all those kind of things that really ring true. And there were other writers, I think specifically, I think I saw, I think it was Scott Snyder that said something on Twitter about loving this issue and how authentic the creative process and the de depiction of the creative process from Kyle Higgins was, you know, like there's, there's times where you say, okay, today's my day. I'm going to sit down and write. And you sit down and you just stare at the screen all day and inspiration doesn't hit. Uh, and then it hits when you least expect it. And you got to sort of grab that tiger by the tail when you have that chance and, you know, write as much as you can while you can before the, uh, the inspiration goes away. So uh, don't get that much radiant black here, but we get a lot of insight into who Nathan is and, sort of uh, that idea of uh, creative process and how he's struggling and who he is. So it's a, it's a real insight into who Nathan is. And I really, really loved it. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is in the back, 
and Kyle has mentioned this in his newsletter about how they'll, they're going to try to spotlight other creatives and other kind of cool things. There's this short story called Afterlife, and it's literally two pages, and it's by somebody named Chris Grillo. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It's G-R-I-L-L-O-T. And it's just two pages, but oh my God, would I read this book. It is such an incredible, cool story and world that he gives us in just these two pages about these cops in a, in a future world that's much different from ours. And in the course of their investigation and in only two pages, he fleshes out so much. It is so well done. Uh, I, I was blown away. I was really, really impressed with what uh, Chris Grillo was able to do. So based on that, based on the incredible art by Marcelo Costa and the great color work, um, I had to, I had to make this my, uh, my book of the week. I, I thought it was outstanding. Um, as much as it wasn't real action packed or tightly paced, like the first couple issues were, again, it's, it's showing us that human side. It's, it's given us a different perspective on Nathan, uh, radiant black and, and who he is. And it, it's that kind of insight and that kind of, um, connection that we can feel with the, uh, protagonist of the story that makes us care about him more and connect with them and be able to relate to him so that we, you know, want to, to learn more about him when we want to root for him when he's uh, in a fight or uh, he's trying to save the world or whatever it might be. So uh, for me, this book's firing on all cylinders. And even though it's not necessarily what you would expect, you know, some action packed uh, hero story with uh, Radiant Black using his powers to, stop a bank robbery like he's done in previous issues or what have you. Um, it's just a very well put together, well-written comic. And that short story just blew me away with how good it was. So I had to, had to give it my book of the week. So did you, uh, did you get a chance to read Radiant Black three or are you caught up on it at all? Oh, I, I finished reading before we got on, but I didn't read that. Uh, the story. So I'll have to check it out later. Yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check it out. So, uh, do you have a uh, a book of the week, Jay? Anything you want to give a shout out to that you thought was better than everything else? Uh, well, for me, like I said, I love animals, so I had to go with Stray Dogs. So the ending got me, and most books don't get me, and that one really got me. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> so that brutal, one. That's a brutal ending for sure. I, I give that. I, I definitely think I'm going to go with that one. And I, like I said, I do like uh, the way of X2, but I'm going to go with uh, Stray Dogs. Well, yeah, you go with Stray Dogs because I guarantee you when. Stray Dogs number four, the week Stray Dogs number four comes out, you will read that first. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you'll want to know. <laughs> gotta know, gotta know. Yeah, so, all right, let me give a rundown on some of the other titles you might want to be on lookout for. Uh, from Aftershock, in addition to the uh, the Knock em Dead number five, we have the first issue of a new title from Graham Nolan and Brett Blevins called Girls of Dimension 13, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, it was, it was pretty solid. Uh, also the second issue of bequest number two, written by Tim Seeley with art by, uh, Freddie Williams. The uh, second also is on stands today over at boom. We have power Rangers number six. There's a new series from Ram V called the many deaths of Layla star that also kicks off this week, uh, over at, image in addition to uh, the books we talked about we've also got old guard tales through time number one of six from greg rucka and you know if you're a big fan of uh the old guard movie from netflix you you may want to jump on that we also have the second issue of ultra mega by james heron 
And then Walking Dead Deluxe number 13. Obviously, that's the colorized version of Robert Kirkman's classic uh, classic comic that uh, was turned into a TV show. Uh, from Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, we've got Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number two of five. We've got Eternals, number four, with uh, art by Isad Ribic, written by uh, Kieran Gillen. Uh, Mighty Valkyries, number one of five, kicks off that miniseries. Sword, number five, speaking of the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe. Star Wars Doctor Aphra, number nine. Trials of Ultraman, number two of five, written by the aforementioned Kyle Higgins, along with Matthew Groom. And then uh, The Women of Marvel, number one, which uh, I think that's just a one-shot, but I'm not uh, 100% on that. Uh, over at Vault, I'll mention I Walk with Monsters, number five, and Resonant, number nine, are also hitting Sands today. And that's about it. So, uh, like I said, a lot of great books. Reminder, if you want to know about the DC stuff uh, that we talked about on uh, yesterday's episode, we covered Batman Fortnite Zero Point number one. We covered Catwoman number 30, Flash number 769, Nightwing number 79, Superman Red and Blue number two. There's also uh, Truth and Justice number three. And there was one other, oh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 109. Plus, uh, if you're into the, the digital stuff, there was a, an Infinite Frontier one-shot that gives uh, a preview of some Infinite Frontier stuff that's to come later this summer. So, uh, But again, those first six that I read off are the books we covered on our DC Spotlight. But remember that that does have spoilers, so be sure you've read your DC books before you give that a listen. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this uh, episode. Jay and I want to thank you guys for joining us as always, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.